0: you've been with us for the past several weeks, we've been going through the book of Romans. We've been slowly going through this book, and it has been absolutely incredible. I'm so glad that we are taking our time through this book because it is so rich and dense, and I'm just excited to kind of continue passing the baton along. Um, I'm I'm just going to take another section of this letter that Paul wrote. We're going to be going through Romans 8 pretty much this morning. Um, Before we get into it, would you guys bow your heads with me? I want to pray. God, thank you so much for your spirit filling this room. I pray that as we open your word this morning, God, that you would bless every word that comes out of my mouth. I have nothing good to say on my own. Nothing good that I will speak will resonate with anyone if your spirit is not attached to it, Lord. I pray that you bless the words. I pray that I am just an empty vessel to be able to be used by you this morning. I pray that all of us in this building that are tuning in online, that are outside, that our ears would be open, that our hearts would be available to do what you wish with, God. Speak to us, your church. I pray you convict us, you challenge us, you encourage us this morning. And we just cling to your word and we thank you that we have access to your word speak to us this morning, Father God. We love you. Amen. So we're going to jump right into it this morning, guys. Have you have you ever found something you're reading a book, a magazine, the Bible, you saw something online and it just jumped out at you and it was so good and it was so relevant and so impactful that you had to take a picture of it. You had to underline it. You had to highlight it and circle it. If you open my Bible, the book of Romans is pretty much one solid underline because this this letter that Paul wrote is just mic drop after mic drop and and just a heavy hitter after heavy hitter and every line just seems to be just oozing with truth and promise and encouragement and challenge. And so when we go through this book or this section of the letter this morning What we find is it's almost like an onion. It's got so many layers and we just need to keep peeling it back and peeling it back and peeling it back. And what we find is we will never find the bottom of God's word. And this letter of Romans is no different. And so we're going to go through just a section of this letter that Paul wrote. Um, What I want to do first, I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture this morning. I hope you guys are okay with that. Um, I think God has a lot to say to us in this letter, um, and I don't want to change anything that's being said. I just want to kind of facilitate some things that God has put on my heart. I could take any one of these verses and go a hundred different ways with it, but God really put on my heart a couple things to share this morning. And so what I want to do to start off with is I just want to read a big chunk of this letter is going to be about 18 verses, so y'all bear with me. I just want to read it in, in totality, and then I want to kind of zoom in and focus on a couple things. Is that all right with you guys? Sweet. So we're going to start, Romans 8, we're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to go all the way to verse 30. Okay, and if you don't have your Bibles or your phones or whatever, you can follow along on the screen. Romans 8, 12, and it starts with the word therefore. And this is therefore that Paul is talking about, the things that he talked about leading up to this. He was talking about the difference between life in the spirit and life in the flesh. Life in the flesh is us choosing sin, choosing our own desires, choosing to follow after what the world says, and it leads to death. Life in the spirit is when we chose Jesus as our savior. We submitted and we surrendered our lives to him and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And now we are following and being led by that spirit that leads to life and, peace. and so Paul is talking to the people that have chosen the spirit. And so he goes on and says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory." And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Amen. You guys got that? We can break for brunch. Good. We're going to take a sip of water after that. So the first thing that I want to dive into is literally right off the bat, when Paul starts to talk about brothers and sisters, and he talks about where those who are led by the Spirit are children of God, and we can cry out, Abba, Father, and brought about adoption to sonship. Paul here is talking to Christians. So when we read earlier in this letter, and Pastor Nathan kind of teed us up last week, so Paul talks, he addresses Jews in this letter, he addresses Gentiles in this letter, and right here in this section of the letter, he's addressing Christians, he's addressing fellow believers. And I think it's important that we pause here for a little bit this morning um, and make the distinction and identify who, is Paul, who Paul is talking to and what specifically it means, okay? Because what he is saying is the children of God are those who house the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is what identifies us as children of God. If we look just a little bit earlier in this same chapter, in verse nine, Paul says, you, however, are not in the realm of the, in the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. And that's not fun preaching, but it's truth. What Scripture tells us. Those who do not have the Spirit of God are not children of God. 1 John 3 puts it actually a little bit more bluntly. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them, talking about the Holy Spirit. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. I want to pause there for a second because what that is not saying is if you ever sin, you are not a child of God. That is not what that is saying. We know that we will fall into sin over and over. We are broken sinners and we need grace and we need forgiveness every day of our lives. What this is saying is look at the path and the trajectory and the fruit of your life. Is your life following the flesh and following sinful desires and following what the world wants? Or is my life following the spirit and the spirit is leading me and I hate sin and I'm trying to please God? There's a difference. And I think this morning is a time for us to kind of reflect on our own lives and say, is the spirit leading me or is the flesh leading me? Because just a few verses earlier in Romans, Paul says this, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So Paul plainly tells us that living life according to what my flesh wants, what sin wants, what Satan wants, what the world wants, that leads to death. And it's not a temporary self-death. It is a death that is eternal. It is an eternal separation from the presence of God. But when I receive the free gift of salvation, I now receive the Holy Spirit. Now I receive eternal life and peace with God. And so what I want to go from here, I think that to an extent, the moment that we were born, we were all children of God, because we were created by him, you were made in your mother's womb by him, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. The adoption, the sonship, being a daughter, being a child of God... What Paul is talking about here is being baptized, what Pastor Nathan talked a little bit about last week, being baptized with Jesus in death and raised to life and resurrection with Jesus. And now I live by life in the spirit because I died to sin. I died to flesh. It no longer has hold and power over me. I now have victory because of Jesus' name. Although because of sin, we will all die a body death. We will live life in the spirit eternal with Christ. there's I want to make the distinction between two kind of fancy Christian words of justification and sanctification and they're kind of just words that are used throughout the Bible but the order of these words and what they mean is the difference between life and death it's the difference between Christianity and a completely different religion because we were justified by Jesus first because of what he did on the cross for us this is not a merit-based salvation we were justified first, and the sanctification, us becoming like Jesus, happens afterwards because now we are led by the Spirit. If I'm trying to earn salvation, if I'm trying to be, earn my justification and say, Jesus, look how good I've done. Look at the things I've done, the deeds, all the laws I've kept. We will never add up, and we will never earn salvation. That's a different religion. We were justified first, sanctified second. That's why it says in John 1, 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. doesn't say to those who earned it. It doesn't say to those who did good enough. It says that we receive and we believe in his name, and he gives us the right to become his children. And now we are adopted sons and daughters. We are heirs to the kingdom. We can now call out to God, Abba, Father, That term Abba is just a term of endearment that they use. It's basically calling God our dad. See, God is God of the entire universe, but he's only Abba Father to his children, right? And when we receive that free gift of salvation and grace because of what Jesus has done, and we now house that Holy Spirit Now, when we read the rest of this letter, we know that Paul is talking to us. These truths, these promises, this life that Paul talks about in his letter, he's speaking to us as believers because we're being led by the Spirit. And so as we continue through this morning, I want us to take that perspective of knowing that, okay, now I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the King. I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And that is confidence at its best. And so... I want to move on, and we're going to go deeper into this letter, but keep that lens this morning of sons and daughters of Jesus. Now, when I was a kid, you ask my parents, they would often say I had what we call selective attention. Now, some of you parents might know exactly what I'm talking about because your kids probably have it as well. Um, and basically all it is is when maybe I'm talking to someone and ask them a question, they talk back to me, and I'm hearing the words come out of their mouth. They're going in my ears Some of it's being processed in my brain. I'm listening, got it, got it. And then once they're done talking, I basically take everything they said and I kind of shift it around. I might throw a few words away that I didn't like very much. I rearrange some things and I cater it to make sure it's what I wanted to hear. I make sure I get what I wanted and I work it in my favor, right? I say kids, if we're being honest, if you ask my wife, she would say I probably still have selective attention, but I'm working on it. We kind of trim the fat around some things that people say to get what we want. Maybe you guys have done that before. Maybe it's just me. Y'all probably just need to pray for me. I'm terrible. But an example of this, let's say I'm a kid, and I go up to my mom when I'm a kid. I say, hey, mom, can I go outside and play? She says, well, I want you to ask your dad first and and see if it's okay with him. Got it. Hey, dad, mom said that as long as you say yes, I can go outside and play. That's not what she said. It was close. It's a little bit different. My dad says, okay, well, if it's okay with your mom, then yeah, it's okay with me. Hey, mom, dad said I can go outside and play as long as you say yes. Not what he said, but it's close. I just took the words that he said, and I kind of formed it into work my agenda and what I wanted to hear. Right? Again, maybe you guys have done this. Maybe you haven't. I'm just talking to myself this morning. But in reference to this morning, I think sometimes we can do that with Scripture. Maybe not intentionally, but sometimes we can just see a verse of the day. Or I can quickly read through a chapter of the Bible and I kind of go at it at a lens I'm saying like I'm, I'm kind of looking to get a certain thing out of this right now And I'd really like it if Jesus could kind of just like talk to me in a way that I'm really looking to get And we take things totally out of context because we don't really know what's going on above it or below it Or what's going on historically in the Bible. Look at look at what 2nd Timothy 4 says for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Again, I'm not saying we're doing this intentionally, but I am saying I think it happens a lot, myself included. And I think that is why it is important to not just read our Bibles, but to study them, to fall in love with the scriptures, to sit with them for a while, to chew on it and meditate and pray through it and listen to what God is actually trying to tell us here. And why I say that, this morning when I was reading through that text, there's probably a verse that jumped out at you or at least one that you were familiar with because it's one that we have all heard. It's one that we've probably told ourselves for comfort. We've told other people for encouragement. You've seen it on the social medias. You've seen it on grandma's pillows stitched at her house. You've seen it on the posters. You've seen it everywhere. And it's Romans eight twenty eight. And it says this, if you're reading your translation, probably says something like this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, when I read that at first glance, what Austin says that says is that if I'm a Christian, God's gonna make my life really good. And I'm gonna use my definition of good. So if I'm a Christian, if I love God, He's gonna make my life comfortable. He's gonna make sure that I don't struggle too much. He's gonna take care of everything that I want. He's gonna, there might be some bumps and hiccups in the road, but I know that God's got me and He won't let me swim too long. He's gonna make sure that I'm good and that I don't have to stress over too much. And I think when we take that verse out of context and we tell ourselves that, and we tell other people that, that hey, God's gonna make your life good. I think we're setting ourselves up for failure. I think we're setting ourselves up for unnecessary pain, disappointment, confusion, frustration towards God when God is saying, that's not what that verse is saying. Because if we just look a couple, you don't have to look far, look a couple verses up and it says the Holy Spirit was given to us for our weakness. I don't think about weakness and good being in the same category. Look just a couple verses above that and Paul says, we will share in Christ's Suffering. Last time I checked, suffering and good are not synonyms in the dictionary. That is not good. If we take a second to just look at the life of the author of this letter, Paul, his life was terrible in our definition of good. Paul was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was left for dead, he was put in jail, he was flogged, he was chased down by Jew, Gentile, Christian, he couldn't go anywhere. Repeat, repeat, repeat. He went through all these things over and over and over again. Paul did not have a good life. He probably had the worst life of anybody in the Bible, except for Job. Job had an awful life, let's be honest. Job's life was terrible. Paul was a close second. If we look at Paul's life, he had a rough life, and he's the one that wrote. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. If I know Paul, I'm like, is that a joke? No. See, we know, you guys know that life is difficult. The reality is life is hard. Believer, non-believer, it rains on the righteous and unrighteous alike. It rains on the just and unjust alike. Jesus told us that in Matthew on his Sermon on the Mount. So if there is pain and there is suffering and there is weakness and there is loss and there is confusion in this life, what is he talking about here? I can't tell myself to expect anything less this side of eternity because I'm just setting myself up for heartbreak. And it's not God's fault because I took this scripture out of context. I chose selective attention. Now, if we, if we take this verse and we look at a little bit more literal translation, so you're like my Bible, I'm reading an NIV, it's got a little note next to it, and it like points me to the footer and says alternate translations. Um, if we look in the literal Greek and how it's laid out, it's a little bit different. I'm actually, I am actually looked at a, this theologian that broke this verse down, his name is N.T. Wright, that actually Jared put me onto, um, and he broke this verse down really, really well, and it changes things. And so let me read what a little bit more literal translation of this verse says. And we know that in all things, God works together with those who love him to bring about what is good with those who have been called according to his purpose. Read that one more time. And we know that in all things, God works together with those who love him to bring about what is good. That changes that verse a little bit. If we dive into it. Because, first of all, it says that God wants to work together with you and with me. That should fire us up right off the bat. That should be enough. I could preach on that this morning and we could leave and we could all be excited. Because God wants to work with you and with me, his sons and his daughters. He does not need us, but he chooses to work with us because he is a good dad, he is a good father. And that phrase, work together with, it's a Greek word, and I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation, it's like synergeo, but essentially what it is, it's where we get our English word synergy from. And what that word means is to work together, to help in work, to be a partner in labor, to put forth power together with, and thereby to assist. How cool is it that God wants to work with us to bring about good, It uses that same synergy word in 2 Corinthians 6, and it uses the word co-workers. It says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. We are God's co-workers. For those of you that don't like your jobs, maybe don't hold on to that word because co-workers will not be a good thing to you. But it is a good thing. God wants to work with you and with me to bring about good. It's a team. It's a partnership. We're like Batman and Robin, going out and fighting crime in in Gotham City, God is Batman, we are Robin, let's not get that twisted, our egos want us to be Batman if we're being real, we are Robin, but we're not just bystanders and spectators in this life, God wants us to participate, he wants us to get in the game, he wants to use us, and so as we keep going through that verse, all right, so God's going to take all things, he wants to work with us to bring about what is good, what is good? Because we're being totally honest with ourselves, I think our definition, at least my definition of good, God's definition of good, probably a little bit different. I think I tend to be a little bit selfish with my definition of good. And when I hear good, when I read the Bible, I'm often looking out for myself and trying to see, okay, well, if God's going to bring about good, then maybe my, my bank account will increase. Maybe I'll get a better car, a bigger house. Maybe my fame will go up. My status will increase. Right, that might be my definition of good. And maybe some of those things happen, but I think those are just blessing and responsibility to be stewarded well. Because we already know that life is difficult and there will be weakness, there will be suffering, there will be pain. So what is this good that Paul is talking about in his letter to Rome? Well, I think through all things that it says in that verse, when it says, and we know that in all things, God works together, all things is basically talking about everything that goes on in our life good, bad, ugly, pain, sorrow, blessing, joy. God's gonna use all things and he's gonna make us more like Jesus. That is part of the good that Paul is talking about here because it says in verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Everything All things will make me more like Jesus if I follow the Spirit's lead and I allow God to work in my life. That is good. And when I've devoted my life and I've given my life to Him and I've surrendered everything and I believe in who He says He is and I believe in what He's going to do, what He said He's going to do, then anything that comes my way, good, bad, ugly, difficult, confusing it doesn't matter. I now have a different perspective when I approach those things because I know on the other side of them, I will be more like Jesus. I will share in Christ's suffering so that I can share in his glory. I can be more like Jesus. My pain is not wasted. If I, if I am a non-believer, I am not a child of God, my pain and my struggle will have my head spinning because it has no purpose but when I'm a child of God, my pain does have purpose. It will refine me and it will make me more like the one I've given my life to. And that is called sanctification. We're becoming more like Jesus day after day after day. And just earlier in this letter, in Romans 5, Paul has already understood this concept and he's already told us about it. Listen to what he says in Romans 5. But we also glory in our sufferings. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That is good. All the suffering that Paul went through in his life, if you read about that, I think it might be in 2 Corinthians where he just lists a whole laundry list of his whole life and how terrible it's been. On the other side of it is God's glory. On the other side of it, he becomes a little bit more like Jesus. And the closer that we work with God, the closer our relationship gets with God, the closer we are led by the Holy Spirit, that good now becomes better than any good that I could have thought of. Any temporary fleeting, temporary thing on earth that is perishable, that no longer becomes good to me. Me becoming like Jesus becomes good. And so the question to ask ourselves is when we are ultimately trying to give God the glory, am I okay with, am I even joyful with the fact that Austin, I, and you can and probably should be forgotten? And efforts to make Jesus unforgettable. Because that is good. And that is the goal. And that is the purpose of this life. Now, I believe wholeheartedly with everything inside of me that on this side of eternity, in this life, that we will find blessing. We will find beauty and joy and peace and goodness. But that is not our primary mission and goal. That is a byproduct of just God's goodness to us. See, the purpose is to bring God's creation back to him. It says that all creation groans as in birth pans, anticipating God's glory to be revealed. Including us humans, whether we realize it or not, everything is just eagerly waiting to be restored and back into the perfect presence of God. Everything on this earth, that is what we were created for. That is what we were made for. And that is good is when God's kingdom comes down on earth. And God wants to use us. He wants to work with us to make that happen. That is good. The good news that we have been talking about over the past several weeks through the book of Romans to spread the good news, to spread the gospel, that every tribe, every nation, every tongue would hear and know and love the name of Jesus and be saved because of his blood on the cross. Jew, Gentile, anyone and everyone, they would come to know the name of Jesus and what he did for them. That is good. So Romans 8.28 is saying that God can take all things Work together with us who love him to bring about what is good. And that, my friends, is good. The gospel being spread across the nation, across the street to your neighbor. That is good. And everything that we go through in life is just refining us and making us a little bit more like Jesus. And we take that perspective, there's, it is tough to have a bad day when I know that even this trial and this tribulation is making me more like Jesus, the one that I've set my life to please. Bring it on. I can glory in my sufferings, like Paul says. Now, if we just look a little bit farther and we go on to verse 30, we start to see some language talking about predestination. And a lot of you probably already know what predestination is. Some of you might not have heard it before. Most of you probably know more about it than I do in this room. But basically what that is saying is that God kind of knows who and who will not be saved. He's chosen who will and will not be saved. He kind of knows how things are going to be shaken out at the end of it. And he already knows everything about it. He's chosen it. And so the question would come to be, well, if, if God already knows all those things, if he's already chosen who will and who won't be saved and he's already figured it all out, then what am I here for? Why does he need to work with me? Why do I need to go and talk to somebody and spread the good news? And, and why does God need to work with me to bring about good if he's already got it all figured out and he's already done it? Well, I've got some thoughts on that topic, but ultimately, I don't think that we are to be too concerned with who and who will not be saved or who or who who has not been chosen because if we just go a little bit farther into this letter it goes into chapter 9 there's people that are asking the same questions as that and Paul answers them and says this Listen, what he says in chapter 9 verse 20 but who are you a human being to talk back to God shall what is formed say to the one who formed it why did you make me like this Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Paul's basically saying, let God be God. Because I was not put on this earth to be the judge or the jury. I was put on this earth to be a vessel and a servant. I was put on this earth to love God with all my heart, soul, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself, to love my brothers and sisters as myself. I'm not here to call the shots. I'm not even here to figure out all the reasons why. Because God's ways are higher than my ways. God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. So as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's than mine. There's some things that will not make sense to me. There's some things I will not get to the bottom of and will not understand this side of eternity. And that is where part of our faith and our trust in God comes into play. Because God knows what is good. And when it doesn't line up with what I think is good, well, God defined good. And So he's the one that ultimately makes decisions. He has all the wisdom and it will make sense on the other side of eternity. And I don't think that Paul even puts this section into his letter to have us walking on eggshells and pins and needles, wondering, like, oh man, well, are are they saved? Are they gonna get saved? Am I even chosen? Am I gonna am I gonna get to go to heaven? Are they chosen? I know that person's not chosen. I saw what they did last Saturday. I know they're my I don't think that's why he wrote that. I think he wrote it as an encouragement to believers. Remember, he's talking to Christians here. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. That is a promise that God will finish what he started in the work in you, and he will make you like Jesus. Philippians 1 tells us this. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Again, going back, everything in our life, all things, God will work together to make good. He's refining us. Every part of our lives, he's going through this process and he's saying, I will not abandon you. I will not leave you. I will not leave you unfinished. I am here with you. My spirit is leading you. And when I come back one day, You have the Holy Spirit, and Ephesians 1 tells us that that spirit is a seal guaranteeing your inheritance and the redemption of your body. So when Jesus comes back and he says, she has my spirit, he has my spirit, that's my son, that's my daughter, eternity in heaven is your home. Paul is saying, God will finish the work that he started in you. And then after this, Paul just catches fire in the rest of this chapter and he encourages us as believers and basically says, all of this that I just said, you need to know that God is for you and that God loves you and that nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. Because when you have the Holy Spirit, nothing can take that from you. I want to work with you to bring about good on this earth to spread the good news of the gospel that we've read through in this letter of Romans. And so I want to read that over us this morning as I close and just cling to every word that Paul says because if you are a son or a daughter of God, this is your reality. What then shall we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those, against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. And as we stand to sing one more song and worship our King this morning, hold on to that promise and the truth that when the Holy Spirit lives in you when you have received by faith in him and became an adopted son and daughter you can cry out to him Abba Father and he's going to work with you to bring about good on this earth that is what our lives are for